You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Now we're starting to see attackers move into other areas. So not just SMS, but actually very much more recently, we've started to see the rise in IM phishing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Adam Bateman. He is co-founder and CEO at Push Security. We're talking about phishing. But first, a word from our sponsors at Know Before. Time travel would be a particularly powerful tool in the hands of any overworked InfoSec professional. Think about it. Being able to see the future and know which malicious emails would be missed by all the existing filters. Your ability to stay one step ahead of the bad actors would rise to a whole new level. Unfortunately, our sponsors haven't cracked time travel just yet. They are, however, introducing a new phishing protection product that can block and remove dangerous phishing emails before your users even see them. Stay with us, and in a few minutes, you'll learn how. All right, Joe, before we get to our stories, we have uh, some follow-up here. Yeah, Michael Uh, has written in with some uh, comments about my whining about the terminology in this field. I think we we shared the whining duties uh, (laughs) last time. Uh, You want want me to read this? Yes. All right, he says, Hi, Dave and Joe. Following the latest episode of Hacking Humans, I was having a think about alternate names for social engineering and came up with e-deception. Good name. Social engineering is all about deceiving a victim into performing an action, including taking zero action. Deception is fundamental to biological survival from the most basic of organisms to the most complex. Humans have just taken it to the extreme. This is an excellent point, Michael. Mm. And when I talk about social engineering or or e-deception, I frequently talk about the reason that we're victimized by these things, and it's from... I talk about it from an evolutionary standpoint. These bad guys will appeal to things that have made us successful as a species, like our desire to help one another, Mm. our greed, or our fear. Right. Uh, And this is just another, the the adversarial part of that that I never thought about mentioning. And Michael is 100% right. I'm putting this in my presentation. Oh, all right. Very good. I think it's really, uh, really, a really salient observation. Okay. Uh, Michael goes on and says, the survey you discussed highlights that most people have no idea what social engineering is. Mm -hmm. Cybersecurity professionals have a greater understanding of what social engineering refers to, how it works, and mitigation strategies than the layperson, but nobody can identify and avoid every attempt. Michael says, I believe social engineering is a meaningful description of what deception is and has a place in our professional vernacular. However, I can't describe what electrical, chemical, civil, mechanical, nuclear, or aerospace engineers do, so why should we expect the layperson to understand what social engineering is without a concerted effort to teach them? Mm -hmm. Referring to non-physical social engineering techniques as e-deception could be appropriate. Yeah, I I agree with this. Um, And I I get 
Michael's point here about, you know, jargon is, uh, is helpful in a community. Yeah. Uh, to quickly communicate complex ideas. Mm-hmm. So you and I say social engineering to ourselves, to, our, to each other, to other cybersecurity professionals, and they get it. But if we're going to go talk to people that are not steeped in this field every single day, yeah. and we say social engineering, we've just stopped them from listening, I think. Mm-hmm. I think e-deception, using e-deception as a term when you're talking to the general public, is much better. It's more descriptive of what's going on. Uh, and I, this is a front-runner candidate for me, this I, term. I would say that... Um... I think it's better than social engineering. I think there's still some work to be done because I, I just doesn't it doesn't flow trippingly off the tongue the way I would like something that would that could catch on with the general public. Yeah. Um, I think if I'm presenting in front of a group of people on this, I don't start by saying social engineering. I say online scams. Right. Is how I describe it, yep. and everybody gets that. Yep. So I wonder if uh, following on, building on what Michael has suggested here, I wonder if e-scams would be good or, or I don't know. Um, this is good, but I still, I, I'm still curious to hear what other people have to say. I, I feel as though the perfect term is still out there and yeah. we haven't found it yet. Yeah, I get it. I, so, and uh, I, I would agree, but I like this term. I like e-deception. Yeah, no, it's good. Absolutely. All right. Well, Michael, thank you so much for taking the time to write in. We do appreciate it. Joe, why don't we uh, go to our stories here? You want to kick things off for us? Yes, Dave. Next week is uh, Christmas, Mm -hmm. right? And if any of you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas, I have one. Okay. I'd like my boss, Frank Shirley. I'm sorry. I started quoting a movie. (laughs) Christmas Vacation, Dave. Come on. Have you not seen... Uh, it's not, right. I haven't seen it enough to quote it. Oh. I could probably quote regular vacation. That one I know. Yes. Like, Real tomato ketchup, Eddie? Like that I know. But uh, I'm not of course, Christmas re- vacation. Of course, yeah. referring to the scene where uh, Clark goes on the rant about uh, uh, Frank Shirley, played by uh, Brian Doyle Murray. Yeah. And Eddie goes out and kidnaps him. Okay. <laughs> brings him back. Uh, great movie. If yeah. you haven't seen that movie, I watch that movie and still get a laugh out of it. It's one of those movies where every line is a joke. Okay. And I, I think it's held up. All right. Anyway, uh, last minute gift ideas. A lot of people go for gift cards, Dave. Yeah. Well, uh, there is a story coming out of WCCO in, uh, which is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay. From Alan Henry. And this is a story that talks, we'll put a link to this story in the show notes, but I found a bunch of stories about this. Hmm. And this kind of harks, harkens back to a, an email we got from a listener a long time ago about them buying a gift card and, uh, or a family member bought a gift card for somebody else in the family. And by the time the person, the recipient tried to redeem the gift card, it was empty. Yes. I remember that. Right. Yep. So, yep. uh, this is now a, a, a very common scam. In fact, I surmised, I guessed at the time that what they were doing was just putting a printed barcode to their own gift card on that gift card that they, they were tampering with the gift card in the package, printing out their own barcode for it and putting it on the package. Mm. And then when somebody loaded up that, when somebody bought that gift card, they were actually loading up the scammer's gift card. Okay. So this is now happening on mass and in an organized fashion. Hmm. And in fact, in Seattle or Sacramento, rather, they the police arrested one guy who's putting 
5,000 of these things into, a, into Target stores. Wow. 5,000 cards into a Target store. Huh. I found another, another story out of Braintree, Massachusetts. By the way, I, I like the name Braintree, Massachusetts. <laughs> so you're going to retire too? <laughs> yeah, uh, probably not. A little too cold, but okay. <clears throat> maybe I'll spend the summer there. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but two women were arrested for stealing close to 2,000 gift cards. Mm. Now, I'd like to know legally how this, uh, how this gets prosecuted. I mean, if they can demonstrate that these people are stealing these gift cards and uh, that they're going to come back and, and use them in a scam, right? great. But if they're taking these things, they have no cash value Well, until you load them up. Yeah. They still have, I mean, you're still stealing. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess you are taking merchandise out of a store without paying for it. Correct. But if you, if you do that, Dave, if you and I do that, we walk up, we, we take one gift card off the rack and we leave... Well, we don't uh, get anything. Well, yeah, right. But what if you, I mean, what if you go to McDonald's and take all the napkins? Yeah, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. Eventually, they're going to, like, somebody's going to meet you at the door. Right. <laughs> so When I was a kid, I used to take straws for some reason. Yeah. Lots of straws. No idea why. Okay. Nobody ever stopped me, though. <laughs> uh, but not all the straws. Right. Um, I found another story about a place in Pennsylvania. They don't tell you what store it is, but it's just a grocery store where they arrested two people who had come in, and these guys were actually putting the cards on the shelves. Mm-hmm. And they have security footage of it. Um, like reverse shoplifting. Yeah, it's like, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go in and put my merchandise on the shelf. But what happens is you, you grab one of these things thinking you're grabbing a gift card, and you, uh, you take it in, take it up to the, to the cash register, and they may say, hey, are you being scammed right now? Is somebody on the phone telling you to buy gift cards pretending to be the IRS? You go, no, I'm just trying to buy my, my nephew a gift card because he likes playing uh, Fortnite or he he likes uh, Apple gift cards for iTunes or I right. don't know. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, whatever. But then you give the gift card and it's empty because somebody else, you've essentially just loaded up somebody else's gift card. Yeah. I saw another video. I can't find this video now, but I did see this video last week where a law enforcement officer was saying that they were just cutting the gift cards so that the original barcode was still visible through the little hole in the paper around the gift card. Yeah. And they had the actual code, right? So they had the scratch-off code. Oh. So they could enter the scratch-off code and then get the money from the gift card. And if you gave it to somebody, they wouldn't even have the access to the scratch-off code because it would be physically missing from the card. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So. They're doing this one of two ways. They're they're either printing out their own barcode and put, putting it on the uh, on the cards, or they're going in. They're taking the cards. They're scratching off the uh, the little like lottery ticket stuff. The scratch off yeah, stuff on the silver, back. Yeah, that's silver. That silver scratch off yeah, stuff. Yeah. Everybody knows what that is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they're just entering the codes into their own systems or or whatever, and then they're putting the cards back on the shelf, repackaged. Mm-hmm. So uh, be on the lookout for that this year. As as you as as the holidays come close and you need immediate gifts, um, you know I'm going to give you some old man Joe advice here. <laughs> uh, I think gift cards are just the modern uh, case of the gift certificate. Yeah, I, I think they're it was exactly on, that. That's yeah. exactly what they are. Yeah, I, I think it was on the uh, Seinfeld. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld and George Costanza are talking and and. They're arguing about should they get a gift card for somebody, and Jerry says no, and George says it shows thought, and 
And Jerry says, it shows defective thought because now <laughs> you've essentially spent money and you're forcing this person to go shop at this other store. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's kind of how I feel about it. But um, I want to talk, actually, there was a quote in here from Target in, this, okay. in the first article that I talked about. Uh, we are aware of the prevalence of gift card scams and take them very seriously. Mm-hmm. We have signs in our stores and share general safety tips with our team members so they can stay alert and help guests as best they can at our registers. Uh, our centralized cyber fraud team helps educate our team members about common scams and encourages them to look for guests purchasing high dollar amounts or large quantities of gift cards or tampering with cards uh, in stores. So basically, Target is is really focusing on the uh, the person getting scammed as a gift card purchase. Yeah, uh, you know, it, they're not really focusing on what the problem is here. They're they're saying, okay, be on the lookout for someone tampering with cards. Um, but I I think that scams like this make the purchase of these gift cards much more risky, and I think that retailers really don't care about this. Hmm. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder if it might reach a point where the retailers feel as though having that big rack full of gift cards is no longer worth the effort for them because of the 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 um, the negative association that people will have with the store that it came from if something goes bad. Right. One of the things that the law enforcement people said was go up to the counter and get a gift card from behind the counter if they have them there, mm. which I think is a good idea. Uh I, I have yet to see gift cards behind the counter. Mm. I don't know that I've seen it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I would say is buy the gift card online, right? Right, and you can do that. And either email it to them or print it out and, and you know, put it, if you're going to give someone a card or something like that, because yep. then that takes away the possibility of the scammer to, had to lay hands on, on the gift yeah, certificate. on the product, right. Yeah. That's, that's a great idea, Dave. Yeah. Uh, I did have an, uh, a... a, a Funny, intrusive thought on this one. Okay. So imagine that you're an IRS scammer, right? Yes. And you, you, you've you got somebody on the phone and you say, I need you to go to the store and buy a bunch of iTunes gift cards. So they or, go to the store, they spend $200 on iTunes gift cards only to have another scammer get the $200 because they pulled one of these scams where they changed the code. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'm thinking of that... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that that Spider-Man meme where they're, they're all pointing at each other. <laughs> they're all pointing yeah. at each other. Right, that's... It scams well, all the way down. I would be very sad to see the victim lose $200. <laughs> I would laugh yeah. at, the, at the agony of the scammer. Mm-hmm. I mean, this... I hope that... I hope nobody loses money. I know people are going to lose money, but I think it's just funny that if somebody loses money, they, they, they lose it to the person that's not scamming them. That would... There's, there is a certain... I don't know, cold comfort I get in that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll i also add that a lot of people, I think um, especially lately, and and I can see it with gift cards being associated with these scams more and more in people's minds that uh, people are talking about gift cards as being you know lazy and less thoughtful than cash and, and that sort of thing. And I I see where people are coming from with that, but I don't know that I agree with it because... For example, let's say you have a niece or nephew who you know is an avid reader. Right. Right. And so you want to support their reading. So if you buy them a gift card to 
their local bookstore or even Amazon. You know, remember right. when Amazon was a bookstore? I do. Or, so, you know, or, or in Jeff Bezos' garage. Yeah, or whatever. <laughs> you know, but uh, let's let's just say your local bookstore. Um, what you're saying to them is that I recognize that you're an avid reader, and so I want to buy you a book, but. I don't know what you want to read. Right. So you go choose a book because for an avid reader, part of the fun is going to choose a new book. Yeah, I do. Uh, you know, that is one of the things, since I started with my Kindle, mm-hmm. right, I have read a lot more fiction than I ever have, and I've enjoyed it. Okay. Kindle makes reading the fiction very easy, mm. uh, especially with the way I read it because I read it at night in bed while falling asleep. <laughs> right. I turn my brain off. Right. Um, you ever bunk yourself on the forehead with a Kindle? Yeah, or I've woken myself up <laughs> as the Kindle falls on the floor. Okay, yeah. And I've dropped that thing a lot of times. I'll say it's great. It's but held the, up. <laughs> the one thing I miss is going into a bookstore and going, all right, which book am I reading next? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Now I have to do that through the Kindle interface. And a friend of mine said that um, when Netflix started doing that uh, started when Netflix opened and, and you started, you mailed DVDs back and forth mm-hmm. with that company. He said he missed the experience of going into a, uh, into a, a video store to just browse. Sure. You can't do that. No. It's a different experience. I think those rituals are important. And I think uh, for those of us who are, are, are of a certain age, yeah. that was a big part of going to the record store was <sighs> the record store the ritual of flipping through the stacks and deciding what were you going to save up for and buy next? Yeah. You know? So. Yeah, I would, every every two weeks when I got paid, I would make it a point to go out and buy a new piece of vinyl. And I think that's a big part of the resurgence in vinyl is the the coming generation is is rediscovering the pleasure of some of those rituals. Yeah. So. Yeah, flipping through the uh, thing. Now, my son's getting into vinyl, but he's ordering all the stuff online. I don't mm. get it. Okay. You got to go to a record store, Joe. (laughs) Someone said, vinyl's great. It sounds worse and it's less convenient. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't get the the vinyl sounds better argument. I I don't buy it. I think that's a garbage argument. Digital sounds way better. Well. Has. Always Please send your letters to Joe. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep, I'll argue this point. I'll yeah. argue this point. Because gonna... as we all know, there is no more a rational group in the world than audiophiles. Right, yes. So uh, <laughs> please send your letters to Joe, and uh, we'll, we, he will answer them in turn. All right, uh, interesting stuff, and we will have a link to uh, your stories in the show notes. Uh, my story this week is actually, it's its kind of a combo. It's a, one story that led me to another hmm. uh, and actually started with um, a report from Joanna Stern and Nicole uh, Nguyen, who were reporting for the Wall Street Journal. I heard this. Uh, so they're covering a new feature that's coming in the next version of iOS, which happens to be uh, the catchy 17.3. Uh <laughs> I'm fine with version numbers, Dave. Yeah, well, yeah. Because yeah. it's easy to know what you have in your phone and, and that the new one is is probably better. If nothing else, it's more recent. Right. What right. I didn't like was the Android where you had like ice cream sandwich and, and mm. Froyo or whatever it right. was. I'm like, I, I don't know. How, <laughs> how do I know what this is? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this, this coming version, which is currently in beta, uh, has a function called... Uh, stolen device protection. Right. And this is Apple recognizing that there's a problem here and upping their game. Yep. Um, so what happens is, and, and I'm uh, paraphrasing from the coverage from the New York Times, uh, if you enable the stolen device protection, your phone will restrict certain settings, 
when you're away from a location familiar to the iPhone, such as your home or work. So in other words, um, if your phone is not at your house or not at your work, it's going to require more scrutiny to log into than it would if it were at your home or your work. Interesting. Just kind of... I think that's an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, yeah. So if you activate stolen device protection, if you want to change your Apple ID password and you're away from one of those familiar locations, the device will require your face ID or touch ID. Then it will implement an hour-long delay before you can do the change. Ah, that's a good plan. After the hour, it will ask you to reconfirm with another face ID or touch ID scan. And only then can the password be changed. So this is to cut down on, you know, people who would steal your phone, you know, drive by, snatch and grab kind of things. What they would do is wait for you to unlock it and then snatch it. Right. And then once they had it opened, they would go in and like lock you out of your account and everything. Exactly. And I mean, it it wasn't just the phone they were taking from you. Right. It was a lot more. Because an unlocked phone is really the keys to everything. Yes. Think about... People have your banking stuff in there, your email, your all sorts of things, your Venmo, you know, all, all that good stuff. Yep. Um, so I, I think while that's interesting, and I think that is a good thing, and, and it's interesting to see that uh, we're heading into, uh, we're heading in this direction out of necessity. Right. Uh, because it is a constant cat and mouse game. Um, I originally learned about this uh, from coverage from uh, the Daring Fireball website, which is uh, John Gruber's website, uh, mostly focuses on news about um, Apple and Macintosh stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and he described a scam here that I thought was worth sharing with uh, our listeners. Uh, in this scam, someone would chat up a victim in a bar and offer to use the victim's phone to snap a photo of the victim and their friends. So, Joe, you and your uh, lovely bride are at a bar or a restaurant and everybody's having a good time and watching the football game or something like that. Right. And I'm coming up and I'm just, you know, close to you guys and laughing and enjoying and, you know, saying, hey, isn't that, isn't that team great? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I say, hey, you know what, Joe? Immediately, I don't like you, though. Well, <laughs> But right, not I, everybody's me, Dave. <laughs> I'm chatting up your wife. <laughs> which you, which would make that, you not like me as well. That's right. But, <laughs> now I don't like you even more. Right. So <laughs> I say to you, hey, you know what? Why don't you let me take a picture of you and your lovely bride here? Hand me your phone and I'll, I'll take a... You guys you look so like you're having so much fun. And you say, sure. What could possibly go wrong? Right. So you hand me the phone, which is unlocked. While I have the unlocked phone, I disable Face ID and I hand it back to you. Okay. Ah, Okay. So now, the next time you go to do anything on your phone, you need to enter your passcode. Right. And either me or someone who's working with me... An accomplice, right. ...is watching you while you enter your passcode. Uh-huh. And so then, once we have your passcode, we steal the phone. Now, now the snatch happens. And now we have the passcode. Yeah. So it seems like a, a bunch of steps to get at what you want, but it's also not... That much. I mean, if you think about the things that are of value, uh, it, it's really I put it on the on par with something like pickpocketing, right? You know, or, or any of these other scams we've heard about that that require uh, interaction with a person on the street. The 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 boldness of interaction with someone. 
this is a scam that has, people have described, have, have been caught doing or had have, have had happen to them. So oh. I thought that was worth uh, sharing uh, for our listeners and to spread around that if some stranger offers to, out of the blue, take your picture, uh, just be wary. Yeah, just say no. <laughs> no, I don't. Bug in off. fact, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe your inner Joe comes out and you get, get away from me. That's right. <laughs> strange Joe's stranger danger. Right. <laughs> we need to make we need to make uh, t-shirts that say, uh, "Yeah, express your inner Joe." Right? Just say no. <laughs> express your inner Joe. There you go. All right. Well, I will have a link to uh, that story uh, in our show notes. Uh, Of course, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at n2k.com. Joe, it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Van, who sent us an audio catch of the day. We haven't had one of these in a while. Hi there. This is to inform you that Spectrum has applied a 50% discount on your monthly bill. To keep this offer active, please call back at 866-831-0892 from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you and have a great day. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you know what? Uh, one of the things that strikes me about this message is yeah. that it's for Spectrum, which okay. is not like a top-tier communications company. You know, they sell... Uh, I, I know they do a lot of rural stuff. Okay. They're also, I think they're owned by Charter Communications. Okay, who, so they're no Comcast. Well... They're no Verizon. They're yeah, no AT&T. They're, right, exactly. <laughs> they're not one of the one of the big names you think of first. But, you know, yeah. when you go out to, like, Western Maryland, yeah. Spectrum's all you have. I right? see. Mm-hmm. So, uh, these guys are targeting a smaller group of people. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I don't know if by choosing a carrier that is mainly r- rural, they're hoping for a less sophisticated group of people. Hmm. I don't know if that's the case. Well, I wouldn't make that assumption about about people. But Yeah. I was going to come at it from a different direction and say, I wonder uh, how easy is it for a scammer who's buying a phone list like this to know who your provider is, mm. who your ISP is. That's a good question. Uh, Van doesn't tell us who his ISP is yeah. or if he does any business with with uh, with Spectrum. Right. I'd like to know that, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have sent him an email back about it, but <laughs> eh, too late now. Uh, so, um, but yeah, that's a good point. They, they, they might know who your provider is and just tell you that, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, they have, they have different messages for, for Comcast and for AT&T and for Verizon. Yeah. In fact, I would I would hazard to say that if I were a scammer and I wanted to buy a bunch of phone numbers, I could say I want to buy a thousand phone numbers of Verizon subscribers. Right. And that would be probably pretty probably easy get to that do. list. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely. interesting. And so what are they hitting on here, Joe? Uh, it, it is, I don't know what the scam is. This is just the lure with the hook yeah. is, uh, you know, the hook is in the call. So you call that number and the scam begins. And it's greed. And it's greed, right. right. Ooh, 50, I'm getting 50% off my uh, my telecommunication service. I don't know. Spectrum offers a lot of telecommunication services. I, I looked this up today oh. and saw what they do. They do a lot. Okay. So it could be high-speed internet. It could be TV. It could be cell phone service. It could be anything. 
Ah, yeah, which is interesting in itself because right. the, just saying Spectrum is vague enough. Right. That, yeah, it's uh, not. They're not saying Spectrum Wireless, Spectrum TV, Spectrum Internet Service. Right. 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 Interesting. Yeah. All right. It's it's a pretty good lure. I'll say that. It it does sound exactly like uh like you would expect to get a call from that, but there nobody's ever going to call you and say, "Hey, we reduced your bill by fifty percent." <laughs> Especially not a cable blue. company, right? <laughs> Especially not a cable company. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's worth noting too that uh, there aren't uh, some of the red flags that we look for. Like the, the it is well written. The English uh, sounds like a native speaker. You know, right. so some of the things that uh, would make someone wary, they aren't there. It, like you said, it sounds like a typical run of the mill kind of. Uh, soliciting call that you might get. Have you gotten any of the messages where the person, it's a recording and it sounds like the person is, they're going, um, yeah. And then they, they keep walking through like they're reading a script or they're, they're trying to tell you something, but they're kind of making it up off the top of their head. No. And it's obviously a, a script, but hmm. they're, they're just, we, I get those from time to time about something. I can't remember what it was, but it was like, hi, this is Bob from, um, company name and I'm calling to invite you to try out our new and it's trying to sound like he's leaving you a real message yeah right and they're yeah. not it's just a it's just a <laughs> mass mass call with a recording on it that may not even be an actual person and I don't think this is an actual person either I think this is generated yeah uh, for you know through a combination of, of tools and so on and so forth it takes a lot of effort to actually get my phone to ring uh, <laughs> right so uh, and let alone to get me to answer it <laughs> yeah so if you let's just if you are not already in my address book uh chances are i will not even never know that you even tried so yeah. <laughs> i i will tell you this i'm a big fan of the of the the google screening call screening service <laughs> it is Pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, when I get a suspicious call, I screen call. 90% of the time, it just they just hang up. Yeah. It's great. Perfect. All right. Well, again, our thanks to Van for sending us this catch of the day. Again, we would love to hear from you. If there's something you'd like us to consider for the show, email us at hackinghumans at n2k.com. We were talking about mitigating cyber threats to your organization before your users even see them. The new Fish ER Plus from Nobefore was developed to help you supercharge your organization's email security defenses. How? You get a unique crowdsourcing advantage. More than 10 million highly trained Nobefore end users from across the globe catch and report malicious email that makes it through all the filters. Nobefore's Threat Lab then validates it with AI and with human researchers. Fish ER Plus blocks phishing threads other tools have missed and proactively removes them from your users' inboxes. Not quite time travel, but we think you'll agree it's a vital capability in any InfoSec professional's arsenal. Visit nobefore.com slash products slash fish ER dash plus to learn more. That's nobefore.com slash products slash fish ER dash plus. And we thank Nobefore for sponsoring our show. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Adam Bateman. He is co-founder and CEO at Push Security, 
And our conversation centers on fishing. Here's my conversation with Adam Bateman. I started in the industry as a penetration tester, also called a ethical hacker. So I was on the red team side. So really when it started out, I was simulating adversaries and attacking companies, but with good intentions. Right? So the idea is that you target companies so that they understand and experience like a fire drill. And so they know what it's like to go through an incident and then you can improve the security. So I was on the other side simulating the, the attacks and doing the social engineering to try to get a foothold into the company in the first place. That was my first leg of my journey. Later on, I then flipped over to the blue team side, like many of us do. Um, you realize that actually a lot tips in the attackers, you know, favor from this perspective. And, <laughs> and actually, uh, you're kind of outnumbered really with the blue, on the blue team side. So I, like many do, jumped over onto the blue team side and looking at ways to, to defend so I started off doing intrusion detection, instant response, and I got to see lots of phishing happening from the other side. Now I actually focus on cloud security uh, and SaaS security, which is really outside of um, the traditional network-orientated attacks. But in that world, phishing is entering a very interesting new era, and it's evolving quite a lot. So now I'm starting to think about how does this look going forwards? And there's a lot of very interesting insights there. Well, let's start out with sort of level setting for ourselves. I mean, when it comes to phishing and, and people coming after folks, where do we stand? What's the state of things? I've, I mean, phishing has been one of the biggest problems in the industry for as long as I can remember. Um, like people say, humans are the weakest link. Your inbox is something you want to trust, right? It's a main place that you do work every day. And you can't be in a position where you're terrified to click a link all the time. And as a result of that, people innately want to trust people. And therefore, you get through, you know, that, that's the reason it gets through the defenses. So I think email phishing has always been the number one thing. And uh, it was always about, can you deliver uh, an email that looks legitimate enough to trick someone into clicking a link that then performs some kind of action in some kind of way? I'd say recently, we've it's a cat and mouse game. It keeps developing all the time, but email defenses have improved. They've got better and better. It's got harder and harder to do email phishing because you know, things like, for example, just simple things like um, domain categorization. If you send an email from a particular location it needs to come from a domain and when you ask someone to click on a link it needs to go to a particular domain if that domain has a bad reputation it's new uh, hasn't been sitting around the internet with a legitimate website on it for some time it looks incredibly suspicious just simple controls like that have made it trickier um, for attackers to 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 go in this way and there's you know advances of, of ai and other things the defenses have got a, a lot better as well and that's really started to make people push into other methods which is why we saw SMS phishing, um, and then most recently, I'd say quishing, as it's uh, <laughs> interestingly named, uh, which is effectively where you you do the same thing. You're delivering a payload to a victim, getting them to click on uh, a link, but rather than it being an actual link that could get caught by the defenses, is a QR code. Uh, and people, you know, see a QR code and feel curious to, to scan it. And so they do, and it then redirects them off to uh, a particular location, and it goes that way. And we're seeing this happen much more recently because it's, you know, it, it evades a lot of these uh, defenses. Once someone falls for the fish and either clicks the link or scans in the QR code, 
are we seeing evolution on the other side of that, of what happens next? Yeah, I mean, when people think about classic phishing, it's always really about entering sensitive information somewhere, whether it's credit card details, most commonly your credentials, so your username and password of some kind. We then saw an evolution of that, which was called spear phishing many years ago, which was all these different names around phishing. <laughs> I don't know who comes <laughs> up with them, but there they are. But spear phishing is basically, rather than trying to steal some information, you're trying to deliver a payload, so a malicious attachment of some kind to, to make that happen. But I, I'd say the biggest concern, or at least the, the area that we focus on a lot, is around uh, credential or password phishing. And so what you're really doing is trying to trick somebody to enter those details into a fake website of some kind. The most modern equivalent of that have been trying to fish people's SSO credentials. So SSO being single sign-on, which basically is your single identity provider. So lots of people use Microsoft, uh, other people use Google Workspace, other people will use uh, a third-party SSO provider or IDP like Okta, JumpCloud, there's, there's numerous of, of these. And obviously these are high-value targets because if an attacker tricks you into entering those credentials into a fake phishing site, they you know clone that login page that looks exactly the same, then the attacker can gain access to your single sign-on credentials, which then gives you access to a lot of downstream systems in parallel to that. And so securing the SSO is very, very important uh, defense against, against phishing. Where do we stand when it comes to multi-factor authentication? Is that, is that holding strong? Yeah, I mean, again, multi-factor authentication has been a control, which as long as I can remember has been something we've, we've been trying to battle with in the industry. It's very, very important. Uh, very, very important to do. That's been a cat and mouse game. It started off, if you think to begin with, you don't have any multi-factor. Someone fishes your credentials, they just log in and that's it. And so having a multi-factor or authentication in play would mean that then, you know, let's say the most basic version, a code is sent to your SMS, which you enter into the website. That means that the attacker might have your credentials, but they don't have access to that code. What then we started to see, and, and actually very recently we're seeing this, is attackers, particularly sophisticated adversaries, getting very, very good at social engineering. And so they actually social engineer actual, you know, cell phone providers and trick them into doing like what's called a SIM swapping attack, where effectively you phone up and say, hey, you know, I've lost my phone, I need to transfer my, uh, my SIM or my number to a different, different SIM card, and they would grant it. And there's legitimate reasons for doing this all the time, and so you know, cell, cell providers don't consider this a, a problem, and that allows you to then receive the SMS code. So we then started to see an evolution of that, where it would then, they would then send a push notification to your phone. So you might have a mobile app of some kind, and when you log into an application, it would just send a prompt to your mobile where you just say yes or no. And then what we saw from that was the evolution of what we called an MFA fatigue attack, where an attacker would keep doing the prompt, uh, you know, keep doing the login multiple times until then you you get tired of getting the prompts and you just right. you know, make it stop, and, make it yeah, stop. Yeah, please make it stop. <laughs> just hit the button to make that go. Right. Um, yeah, so it's, it's evolved and evolved. A quite interesting attack that I've seen happening more recently has been uh, around actually avoiding or intercepting MFA altogether. Uh, so mm. I may have mentioned this to you before, but what you effectively do is send a victim a phishing website, and when they open that web page, it opens effectively like a tunnel or a window back through to a server or a computer that you control which has another browser window open, right? So effectively, it's what they call a browser-in-browser -browser attack. 
So for the victim, when they open it, they would see their actual normal login page, their Microsoft, their Google, their SSO login page. But what actually is happening is it's being tunneled through a server that you control. And so when the person enters their um, credentials into that, you're able to effectively steal um, not just the credentials, but the MFA as well. It's quite a technical attack. I won't go into massive details in, in, in this side, but it's a very novel attack that we've seen. And, and so really where we've landed now is what we call you know, hardware-based uh, MFA. And it's a very important thing because effectively it's um, tying it to the device, right? So not, it's not just about a password, it's something you have. It's to do with your credentials and it's to do with your MFA code. Whereas when you've got hardware, it's also saying, and you must come from a device which is authorized. Um, so you can log in from your laptop, but even if the attacker steals the MFA and the password, they can't log in because they're not on your laptop. And, and I suppose this is also where things like YubiKeys, you know, hardware keys come into play. It was similar level of security with those. That's exactly an example of, of hardware. Yeah, you can do it using certificates or doing it using YubiKeys. Um, but this is current, currently is seen as like a, you know, an anti-phishing version of, of MFA. The latest evolution of that is we've started to see advanced actors now um, actually social engineer help desks and get help desks to add their device as an authorized device, at which point they are then able to log in again. So this is why it's mm. a cat and mouse game. Wow. Uh, but that at that <laughs> point, you know, it never ends. But the fact is that hardware-based authentication is at the moment the best, the best defense that we have. Yeah. Where do you suppose we're headed here then? As you look towards the future, what do you see? So what I think is is really interesting is as this cat and mouse game continues, and as I said, email defenses against phishing inside email clients is not perfect, but it is improving all the time. Now we're starting to see attackers move into other areas. So not just SMS, but actually very much more recently, we've started to see the rise in IM phishing. And that's instant message phishing. So things like Microsoft Teams uh, in particular, uh, and Slack. And this is really interesting because whatever this cat and mouse game looks like, the big universal defense that security teams have is, is awareness. So training employees when a, an email looks suspicious. And so I think people are quite heightened towards thinking and looking and spotting suspicious activity in their inbox, but not so much in somewhere like Teams. And so what's happened in the last few years is that Teams always used to be for internal company communication. And now we've started to see them open up um, access to external organizations so you can actually message people in, in other companies as well. And so what an employee would see is just a connection request from a, from a third-party company, which they press accept, and then they are able to actually uh, direct message with those individuals. Uh, and when they do that, you can then uh, deliver payloads in that way. Um, they, we've actually seen in the wild attacks of that happening in Teams. Um, we recently wrote a blog post about how that could happen in Slack as well, some quite novel uh, techniques to sort of hide your identity. And the problem with these IAM platforms is that there's no really enforcement. You, know, you sign in, you create an account, you set a profile picture, you set a name. There's nothing to stop you from changing that name. So in, right. in the example in our blog post, we, we showed how you could just be Mark Zuckerberg and you just change the profile and you start messaging people inside the company. And you could even uh, do what we, what we called a chameleon attack where you start messaging as one individual and then change your name and start messaging another individual. 
So you can actually effectively corner a victim and start talking to them, you know, as if you're, say, the CFO and the CEO together to make the attack much more effective. So I think this is something that, you know, we're just on the prefaces of seeing this happen, but this is something that in the industry I think we should be discussing about making employees aware that these phishing uh, attempts can come through places other than just the inbox. And I suppose this is really taking advantage of the preconceived notion people have that things like Slack and things like Teams, because they're so internally facing that they've been pre-vetted by the security team, that anything coming through there has somehow, I guess someone having access to it, you automatically think, well, they're part of my organization, so that's safe. Exactly, yeah. At most, you see, you know, them being a contractor or something, but at least a trusted part party or somebody that's that's involved in a company. And you, you can put technical controls in uh, for these things. So you can do things like, they vary a little bit between Teams and Slack, but both have the ability to disable external, the ability to talk to external organizations. You can also uh, provide some level of allow listing. So you can say, you can do a connection with another organization, but only if they are on this particular allow list, for example. But it's that classic you know, trade-off between usability and security. It's really handy to be able to connect with customers and prospect and provide customer services over those channels. So, uh, so yeah, it's a balance for each organization, but I think awareness that these attacks are happening is important for every security team um, and an employee to, to think about. Joe, what do you think? I like to hear about how people move around in this industry. Mm. And Adam starts off by talking about, you know, he came in as a red teamer and then he went on to a blue teamer and now he's doing cloud and SaaS security. Yeah. Um, that's that's interesting to me. I, I like to see how that happens. You know, it's, um, I don't know. I, I, just, I You know, you're not going to be pigeonholed in this, in this, in this uh, career field. Yeah, uh, there's plenty of opportunity. Yeah, there's plenty sure. of opportunity to move around. There's so much need uh, and so many openings in cybersecurity that you're probably going to be able to move around very easily with because your skill set will line up well with with a movement within the field. Yeah. Um, there you go. There's the end of my pitch for everyone to start getting a cybersecurity <laughs> career. That's right. Uh, phishing has is still one of the biggest problems. Uh, this is, we have been hearing this a lot lately uh, from our guests mm-hmm. that it doesn't. You know, you think that phishing would would have gone away by now, but no, it's still there. It still yeah. works. Yeah, it works. And and that's why it's still there, actually, is because it works. Mm-hmm. I say that every time. Um, so even though this is still a big problem, defenses are kind of getting better. Yeah. Uh, it's it's nice to see that. I think that uh, AI and, and a lot of these AI products are going to make it a lot better, mm. hopefully. Um, that's my hope anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think that's a reasonable hope. I think that AI is going to have a real impact on phishing. Um, I will agree with, uh, <laughs> something that Adam didn't really say, but kind of his tone of voice kind of alluded to that quishing, uh, these, these terms are again, terrible, uh, <laughs> right. Can we please stop saying quishing? Right. Smishing. I, right. Yeah. But quishing is like the worst of them, <laughs> right? It's the one that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Is it like the word moist? <laughs> I actually would rather hear someone say moist than Quishing. Okay. I, I just, I, it is, this is an attempt to jargonize, again, here we are, back back to my pet peeve, jargonize QR code, malicious QR codes, <laughs> right? 
Uh, and those QR codes are just, you, they're everywhere now. And <laughs> you never know if they're any good or not, but. Well, Joe, let me just say, irregardless of what you think. Dave. <laughs> please, please don't. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I am just poking the bear now. <laughs> <laughs> Next, you're going to say, beg the question. <laughs> right. When you mean leads right. to the question or yes. implies yeah. the question. Mm-hmm. Not begging the question. <laughs> There's another one that makes me angry. Uh-huh. Yeah. And linguists will tell me that I'm being uh, pedantic about it, mm-hmm. or not even pedantic, but anti-lingual. They say languages are natural. I'm like, there are some things that should just shouldn't happen. <sighs> like, like, irregardless, should never be said. <laughs> Except to say it shouldn't be said. Uh-huh. There. What else, Joe? Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, f- sim swaps are still a problem, although, uh, you know, you can protect your your mobile account with a pin. If you don't have a mobile account in your pin, do that tomorrow. Yeah. It's free, it's simple, and it can really stop someone from doing a SIM swap on you. Yeah, it keeps you from being low-hanging fruit. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like what Adam says about the um, the multi- multi-factor authentication push notifications and mm-hmm. notification exhaustion. Uh, if you start getting a bunch of multi-factor push notifications from one of your apps, like Microsoft Authenticator will do this for authenticating to your Microsoft 365 account. If you start getting a bunch of those, change your password. And if the system is properly configured, that should stop it. Because hmm. now they don't get to the point where they get to send you a notification anymore. They just they just, they, they just get a message that says incorrect password. Let me ask you this though, Joe. Yeah. Shouldn't you wait until the MFA push notifications stop? before you change your password? Yes. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> Just <should>. in case. <laughs> like, wait a day or so. Yeah, yeah. Because if, because at some point in time, you're going to be, uh, you're going to be trying to log in and you're going to get that notification and you don't know if that's your notification or one of the bad actors' notifications. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, if you have an IT department, call them and have them help you with that. <laughs> right. Uh, browser and browser attack is something that really scares me. Yeah. You know, he talks about the, you know, you go to, you you open a browser to go to a link and that just opens up essentially another browser in the attacker's computer and you can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And you log in and they can capture everything that you're doing on that. Not only that, but once you're done at logging in, they can drop your connection and just remain in that session as you. You've essentially logged in on a remote computer for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, it's kind of technical and we don't try to, talk about that uh, or go too deep into the weeds here. But just imagine you, uh, you're just remotely going to whatever country it is and logging in as you at somebody else's computer. Yeah. Bad idea. Yeah. Um, the best defense against this is one of those hardware tokens we talk about all the time, the YubiKey. Mm-hmm. This attack will not work with a YubiKey. And it's because of how YubiKeys generate or all the FIDO2 compliant devices generate their private keys based on the domain requesting the attack or mm-hmm. the uh, verification. Rather. Yeah, yeah. So the attacker's domain will not be the same as the legitimate domain. So the uh, FIDO2 key will say, okay, I'm going to generate this key, but that's the wrong private key. And the challenge response will not work. Mm. It'll fail. Right. So that's the best protection against that. So there you go. That's how you protect your... Uh, yourself against these attacks. Um, When Adam is talking about the new problem with direct message platforms or instant messaging platforms, these are things like Teams and Slack and Discord. 
Um, and even on your personal accounts on Facebook Messenger or Twitter, uh, these things are, I don't think they're top of mind in terms of awareness like, like email is. Like if you ask anybody, can you get a malicious email? I'll bet a lot of people say, oh yeah, you can get malicious emails. Mm-hmm. But if you ask somebody, can you get a malicious Teams message? I'll bet that you get a lower response rate of yes. I'll bet people think inherently that Teams is more secure simply because it's uh, it's an IM platform. Actually, I don't think that's why they think that. I think they don't. I think they think that because they just haven't thought about how this system works yet. Well, I think they think of it as being because it's internal facing, right? And the only facing. people you're interacting with are other people in your organization. Correct. I know if if I was uh, in a Slack channel and all of a sudden somebody from outside of my company popped up, I'd be like, whoa, 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 what just happened? Right. You know. So, but that happens in Teams. You can allow out external companies to come into your and send message to your Teams users. Ugh. Uh, this is why I say, if it's possible for you to do this, lock those things down. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. All right. Well, again, our thanks to Adam Bateman for joining us. Once again, he is the co-founder and CEO at Push Security, and we appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. Our executive producer is Jennifer Iben. The show is edited by Trey Hester. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.